Welcome to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com, the show that's dedicated to saving you money on buying and owning a vehicle. Now, here's your host, Rick Popley. Welcome to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks, where each week we help you make smarter choices about buying and owning a vehicle and save money. Hello, everyone. I'm Rick Popley, your host and proprietor. Thank you for joining me. Today's show will be all about the loan arranger. When you arrange financing for a new or used vehicle through a dealer, are you getting the lowest interest rate for which you qualify? Dealers say yes, you are, because they have connections with many different lenders who compete for your business and offer the lowest possible rate. But there's more to that story. Dealers can increase the interest rate you pay on a vehicle loan and keep all or part of that money. It's called the dealer reserve or dealer markup. It can add a full percentage point to the interest rate, maybe two percentage points, maybe more. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, a federal agency that regulates the banking industry, wants to change that practice, possibly with a flat fee to compensate dealers for the service they provide. I will be joined today by Chris Kukla, Senior Vice President of the Center for Responsible Lending, a nonprofit group that provides research and policy recommendations to protect consumers from abusive lending practices. But before we start to unmask the loan arranger, here is this week's auto news you might be able to use. The Honda Accord Hybrid has a starting price of $29,945, including the destination charge. The Accord Hybrid has EPA ratings of 50 miles per gallon city, 45 highway, and 47 for combined city highway driving. In comparison, the Ford Fusion Hybrid has a base price of 26995 nearly $3,000 less than the Accord, and the same city highway estimate of 47 MPG. The Toyota Camry Hybrid starts at 26950 and gets an estimated 41 MPG. All of those hybrids are mid-sized sedans. The Accord Hybrid is a new model for 2014 and is in addition to the Accord Plug-In Hybrid, which can travel up to 13 miles on battery power alone. In contrast, the Accord Hybrid operates on electric power only for brief periods. As we discussed on last week's show, your mileage will vary, and how much it varies in large part depends on how you drive. Nissan will offer Apple's iTunes radio service on three of its 2014 models, the Rogue, the Versa Note, and the Leaf. Nissan will be the first manufacturer to offer iTunes radio, and it will be the only one for the rest of this year. Other car companies will offer it starting in 2014. iTunes online streaming radio competes with Pandora, Spotify, and others that let you choose your own music. Sunday is National Plug-in Day, the third annual celebration of electric and plug-in hybrid vehicles and the benefits they provide. Events will be held on Saturday and Sunday at various locations around the country. More information is available at PluginDay.org. When will the 2014 Jeep Cherokee go on sale? Chrysler says shipments to dealers should start by next week. But the original schedule was for the Cherokee to go on sale in July. That was delayed because Chrysler wasn't satisfied with the fit and finish of early production models. More recently, Concerns about the Cherokee's new 9-speed automatic transmission have slowed production and delayed shipments to dealers. The Cherokee is a new SUV that replaces the Jeep Liberty. The first episode of this show on August 29th focused on why you might not want to be among the very first to buy an all-new model. If you're considering a Cherokee, now would be a good time to listen to a replay of that show. When it comes to buying cars, waiting is often better than being the first in line. And that is this week's auto news you might be able to use. Today's show is about auto loans and what you need to know about the loan arranger. 
Now, I'm talking about car dealers who arrange financing for most vehicle purchases. I will be joined shortly by Chris Kukla, Senior Vice President of the Center for Responsible Lending, to discuss this issue. But before I bring Chris on to the show, let me set the stage for this discussion. 80% of car buyers who finance their purchase get a loan through a car dealer. That's according to the National Automobile Dealers Association. Car dealers arrange loans for consumers as part of their one shopping service. You buy a car, trade in the old one, get a loan, maybe buy an extended warranty, all in the same place. It's a convenience for consumers who don't have to shop for all these things individually. As with most conveniences, there is often a price to pay for this one-stop service. With car loans, that price may be a higher interest rate than consumers actually qualify for. For example, a consumer may qualify for a 4% loan, and the dealer may find a lender who will offer a 4% loan or lower. However, the dealer may also just tell the consumer, we have great news for you. You qualify for a loan at 5% interest, or maybe 5.5%, or 6%. Where does the money go from the higher interest rate? Some of it goes to the dealer, and in many cases, some of it goes back to the lender. Dealers say the average markup is less than 1%, and that consumers still get a lower interest rate than they could on their own because dealers have access to lower rates than you or I. However, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, a federal agency that regulates banks, wants to change that system because they claim it increases the risks that minorities will pay higher interest rates than others. The CFPB has told banks and dealers it wants rules in place to prevent discrimination. One solution it has proposed is that dealers charge a flat fee for arranging a loan and not be allowed to mark up the interest rate. Here to discuss this issue with me today is Chris Kukla, Senior Vice President of the Center for Responsible Lending, a nonprofit group that conducts research and recommends policies affecting consumer lending. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks, Rick. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you for being here for this uh, discussion. Chris, this issue of dealer markups on loans doesn't get much press, uh, uh, much notice in the popular press, but it's front-page news for car dealers. The chairman of the National Automobile Dealers Association says it is the biggest issue currently facing dealers. Why do you think auto dealers are so concerned about the CFPB's proposed regulations? I think it might be a question that, that uh, the dealers might be able to answer better than us. Um, Excuse me, on, on that subject, I invited yeah. the National Automobile Dealers Association to participate, and they declined. Okay. So well, I, I think I think the big issue for them is that I don't think they're particularly happy about CFPB poking their nose into dealer financing or any kind of auto financing arrangements at all. And part of that reason, and, and you mentioned this a second ago, is that this is an issue, and auto lending in general is an issue that hasn't really received a lot of front-page attention, and it certainly hasn't received a lot of scrutiny either on the, the legislative or the regulatory level. I think that's changed with the advent of the CFPB. In particular, there was a big battle on Capitol Hill over whether auto dealers should be covered by the CFPB. And ultimately, the dealers were able to get a partial exclusion so that the CFPB cannot uh, actively inf- um, examine dealers or go into their books. Um, but they do have jurisdiction over the lenders who buy auto lending contracts from dealers. And so I think what you're seeing is CFPB looking at their authority and look in dealing with lenders. And I think the car dealers just frankly aren't too happy about that. It's it's an issue you think that nobody wants to be regulated or, or have any, as you say, looking at what they're doing? Well, I think there's always been interest. I mean, I um, and I think part of the issue has been that there have not been um, there have been periods over the years where folks have been able to raise this issue, um, but it's been very difficult uh, to get things done. And I think with this new attention on auto lending, and in particular because of the debate that occurred on Capitol, you're starting to see regulators and you're starting to see um, other parties take a strong interest in what's going on in the dealership. And I think when they hear about things like dealer markup. Uh, they realize it's a big issue, and it's uh, something that can be a big problem. 
Now, uh, the CFPB is focusing on the uh, racial and ethnic discrimination aspect that could come of this. But but uh, not to dismiss that as not important, but anyone or everyone who gets a uh, a vehicle loan through a dealer could be subject to a markup? It's true. Everyone can be subject to a markup. I think the difference is is whether or not there's a difference in the amount of markup or the amount of time someone gets charged a markup that is that changes based on any reasonable protected class, whether that's race, gender, um, those kinds of things. Um, and so there have been a number. It's not like this is a new topic. So there were a series of class action lawsuits in the early part of, the, of this last decade, in the, the late 90s, early 2000s, that alleged discrimination in auto and dealer markup. And indeed, the data from those research showed that there was significant discrimination in those uh, in car loans. Uh, African-American and Latino buyers were more likely to pay a markup than their similarly situated white peers. And when they did pay a markup, they paid more. Uh, so this has been an issue that's been on the radar for quite some time. Those uh, lawsuits were settled um, where a cap in the amount of markup was placed on them. All of those settlements have expired. Um, but even so, the CFPB has access to a lot of data. And based on the fact that they've come out with this guidance to, to lenders that say, basically saying you need to be careful about discrimination in the contracts that you buy, um, and in particular, they would not have have issued that if there were not evidence that there was some discrimination ongoing. Okay, and and the CFPB, the the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, was created after the uh, financial crisis of two thousand eight. Correct. Correct. And uh, and again, they they regulate banking, but not dealers. They don't directly re- regulate dealers, but they do regulate the financial institutions that regularly. Uh, participate in auto financing. So whether that be a bank or large captive finance agency, captive finance companies or large finance companies in general. Okay. And, and the, uh, NADA has said that it looked at more than 1 million transactions. I believe they're from last year, 2012. And their conclusion is, is that the average markup on uh, vehicle loans is less than 1%. Has your organization done any research, or what do you have as far as that uh, markup? So we've done our own research. We have not uh, – the uh, NADA has not released the data that they used um, to come up with that data, or, and, I, and in some cases the data that they, that they have used in the past is unavailable to the public. So it's impossible for anybody to audit that data and understand whether or not what, – what, what's going on with the data. We've done research um, to – get a sense of the scope of the of markups, but also to get a sense of the average size. Um, we estimate, and the last data that we've had available was from was 2009, so car buyers who bought cars in 2009 paid $25.8 billion in additional interest. That's solely attributable to this dealer markup. Um, we also found that that usually was around, meant a markup of around 2, and a two to 2.5%. Two to two um, now, we've done some additional research that showed that in some cases, we've seen markups as high as, as 5%. So that's five percentage points added onto the interest rate. So it's not just 5% bigger payment. It means that if you were supposed to get 8%, you actually are paying 13 which can cost you thousands of dollars over the life of your loan. Um, so we think that the issue is, is twofold. One is that it's, it's a significant amount of money that most people don't, aren't aware that they're paying. Uh, for a for a the service of the dealer arranging financing, um, but in, in it, additionally, there's this issue of discrimination, where there are certain consumers who are paying more uh, in markup for no re, for no understandable reason other than the either the color of the skin or their gender or something else. Okay, uh, Chris, uh, we have to take a, a short break here, but we'll uh, get back to this issue. Uh, when we come back, and uh, please stay with us to hear more on the Lone Arranger.
Welcome back to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com. Here's Rick Popley. Welcome back, everyone. My guest today is Chris Kukla, Senior Vice President of the Center for Responsible Lending. We are talking about proposals from the Consumer Finance, uh, Financial Protection Bureau to regulate the common practice of marking up the interest rates on loans that dealers arrange for car buyers. If you have a question or a comment for Chris, the phone lines are open. You can join the conversation by calling 888-463-6748. That's 888-463-6748. Before the break, we were uh, talking about the range of markups. You said your research indicates, you know, somewhere around two, two and a half percent. The dealers say it's less than one percent, but just the average new vehicle loan is roughly twenty-seven thousand or to twenty-eight thousand today. If it is one percent, that's two hundred and seventy-five dollars. If it's two percent, it's five hundred and fifty. If it's two and a half percent, it's almost seven hundred dollars. Now you're talking, you know, a sizable amount of money. And dealers do not have to tell uh, customers they're doing this, correct? That's correct. They do not. And in most states, uh, the law is written such that even if you ask, the dealer is under no obligation to tell you whether or not you have a markup. And if even if they do say that you do, they have no obligation to tell you how much it is. Wow. <laughs> How, how does a consumer protect themselves from uh, from this, or how do they find out how good of a rate they're getting? Well, I think this is the interesting thing. So the only way that you can know what rate you actually should get is if you shop between dealers and between finance companies or banks. So if you, the best thing to do is to go into the dealer with your own financing in hand. Then you know generally this is what I qualify for. I went to this bank or my credit union. They gave me this loan. And in many cases, if you do that, the dealer, if they find out that you have financing in hand, oftentimes they'll try to find a way to beat it because they know it's it's more convenient for you to sign that paperwork in the in the office and, and in the, the the dealer and leave. Um, I think what gets interesting is that if you don't shop around, so if you go into the dealership, assuming like a lot of people do, that when dealers say they have uh, that they have relationships with lots of different lenders. Uh, we're looking for the best, you know, we're looking to get you financed. There's an assumption under that that you're that the dealer is shopping on your behalf, and that's not what's happening. The dealer is finding the loan that is going to be the best fit for the dealer. It gets more complicated when you talk about someone with a subprime credit score because someone with subprime credit generally has much fewer options to go to. There are not, there are very few brick-and-mortar institutions that are offering subprime auto credit. Wait, you, mean, so, uh, you mean a bank. If I go to uh, Chase right. and I've got, uh, I'm a subprime, subprime borrower, they probably right. will say no. It's very, most, ba- yeah, most, most retail banks are not offering, they, they might offer subprime in the very shallow subprime space. So someone who has a few credit blemishes, but if you've got some credit issues, generally speaking, a bank, most banks, most, most credit unions are not going to finance you. Okay. Um, and so the problem for that consumer is, is they really have two choices. They can go online to a bunch of lenders that pretty much most people haven't heard of, or they're going to go to their dealer. And what they do is that they go to the dealer and they hope they're going to get financed. And so when they hear yes, because they've heard no so many times, right. they immediately take the deal that's in front of them. And it's, you know, the dealer knows this. So you, as a, especially for someone who has subprime credit, you're very vulnerable to the whims of the dealer. If the dealer wants to play it fair and charge a you know charge a reasonable rate, then that's great. But they could be tacking on you know, a significant amount of additional interest onto your loan, and there's really no way for you to know that. Right. the the um, The way uh, you're describing this is that it sounds like you know a, a bank's concern is that you have the ability to pay the money back on time. Exactly. The dealer's concern is selling you a car. Selling you a car and making as much money on that thing right, as but but I mean, but, but it's a uh, and 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 for that to happen, they have to get financing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but you look at it from the uh, dealer standpoint and from the consumer standpoint. The one, the subprime borrower, he has you know a few options, maybe no other options, but he needs a car. Yep. So I mean, they go to a dealer, and is, is the isn't the dealer doing them a service that their bank won't do for them? 
Well, they would be if they were charging them fairly. I think the question really is, is whether – are there other ways for dealers to get compensated for the work that they do that ensures that it's fair? I mean, really, that's what it comes down to. And that's really what the CFPB is saying. I see. Is when you give discretion to a dealer to make a decision about what interest rate someone should get, that discretion can lead to discriminatory impact and can lead to unfairness. So the easiest way to ensure fairness is you charge everybody the same. Um, How do you do that? Or, or you, you know, it, this is the funny thing. Dealers already get flat fees for certain loan products. So, for for instance, in zero percent financing options, they can't mark up the interest rate. You mean one from, say, Ford Motor Credit or Toyota right. Motor Credit? Exactly. So Ford okay. Toyota is, is basically subsidizing the rate down to zero. So they're already paying down the rate, and in order to ensure that the rate doesn't get marked up, because if you're offering 0% financing and nobody gets it because uh, they're marking the rate up. Um, Your 0% loan just right. went out the door at 3%. <laughs> right. So I think what, what, so what they do is they pay a flat fee. So okay. you already have an instance. So car, this is not, this is nothing new for car dealers. The idea okay. of flat fees, the idea of compensation that's based on something other than the interest rate is not a new concept. All right. And in do fact, you, like when I, yeah. Do you have any idea what those flat fees are? I think it depends on the product, and it depends on the it depends on the lender. Ballpark. Um, but you know, I mean, I think they're roughly the same as what they would normally get in a, in a markup situation. So anywhere from five hundred to fifteen hundred, five hundred to a thousand, depending on what the deal is. I mean, I, they they vary based on okay. based on who the lender is and what they're trying to do. But I think on average, it, it would be very easy to have a compensation system that would keep the uh, that would keep the dealer in you know, roughly the same shape. But what it would do is it would make it, A, is it would it would be fair because everybody would be paying right. same, or roughly the same. B is they would take, and the biggest thing is it would take away the incentive to sell someone on an interest rate that's higher than what they qualify for. And I think that's really, when you look at it from both the dealer and the consumer perspective, the consumer benefits because they're, they've got a dealer who's looking for the best deal for them. They're looking for the most competitive interest rate. And for dealers, it removes this sort of, it, it removes a lot of uncertainty because if that loan refinances early and they get a markup on that loan, they have to pay that markup back. Or if the loan, if the person stops making payments, they could lose the markup. Over, over what period to, is this, uh, would they have to it, pay it back? It depends on, it, there are, every, every lender has different criteria okay. and it depends on how long you're willing to be on the hook as a dealer. Okay. But, but generally speaking, you do have these chargebacks. And so when I've been looking at the trade press, I'm actually seeing a number of different commentators, including people who are in the finance business, who say, actually, for a lot of dealers, this would be a good thing. You would have less chargebacks. You'd have less uncertainty in the amount of money you were getting for making loans. And you would have less regulatory scrutiny. So you've got this system that's already there, that dealers are already familiar with, that right. would work. And yet you have this fight. Um, because you're not happy about the fact that someone's digging into the business. And I think there's, there's a way to solve this that could work for everyone. Is, is, do you think that part of the uh, fight here on behalf of uh, uh, dealers is that right now they don't have to tell anyone that they're marking it up at all? And if there is a regulation in place, they would have to say either we're marking it up or we're charging you a fee. They might. Is that, I mean, is that the issue? Well, that, that could be part. I mean, I think that could be part of it, um, and I think there's some uncertainty about how that would play out. Um, but the real, you know, what I've heard is, and it's conflating issues. What I what I have consistently heard is that if you do this, you're going to make dealers stop wanting to provide financing. Right. They, and the, the, and dealers say they'll be uncompetitive. Well, but I don't know how that could be true because first of all, dealers have relationships with multiple lenders. Mm -hmm. They can shop between lenders to get a lower interest rate. The second thing is they have a vested interest in moving iron. Right. So a dealer wants to sell that car. They're going to find a way to get it financed. And third is that lenders know that they still need to be able to pay the dealer for the work that they do. So right. that will happen. So this notion that suddenly car dealers would stop financing cars just doesn't really pass the laugh test. What I think that what this is really about is that you have dealers that have gotten accustomed to a financing system that in some cases works really well for them. Because if you can charge someone a high, a, a, you know, a decent, you know, markup, you're going to make some money. Right. Um, and it works well for them. I, you know, I, nobody likes change, but I think this there is an opportunity to do something that would provide some fairness in the auto financing transaction. And the idea that it would that suddenly car financing would go away, I think just it's frankly laughable. The um, has the uh, 
Consumer Financial Protection Bureau publicly said what they might think is an appropriate fee, a flat fee, instead of the current system? So the only thing that the CFPB has done is they've issued a bulletin to lenders saying that lenders have to have a system in place to ensure that discrimination is not occurring. Right. So in no way, CFPB has not said dealer market needs to go away. However, they said in that bulletin that there's only that there's two ways that you can handle it as a lender. One is you could abandon the markup system altogether, in which case your risk of discrimination goes way down. If you continue to do markups, then you have to do all they issue, they outlined a series of steps that lenders need to take to ensure that uh, to ensure that discrimination is not occurring in the in their auto finance portfolio. Um, I think what they've said and and what CFPB has said is we're going to let the market decide on some of these things. So I think if the CFPB were going to take action, my guess would be that they would deal more with the system and the the process and less with the actual amount of of compensation that dealers would get. So they're telling the banks, the lenders, you have to keep a close eye on what's going on, monitor right. it. Because as a, as a lender who's buying contracts from car dealers, which is how auto financing works, mm-hmm. um, then you as a, as a lender are as liable for discrimination as the dealer who made the loan. And so in that case, to avoid liability, here are the things you would need to do. Okay, and, so really and putting putting them on notice, right? And and dealers are known in this situation as indirect lenders, correct? That's one. Yeah, it's a term that they that that's being used because the dealer is the creditor on. So if you if you bought a car recently and you look on your finance contract, your finance contract is actually between you and the dealer you bought the car from. But the dealer is immediately going to sell that contract to a third party, whether it's a bank, a credit union, a finance company. Or, you know the finance company affiliated with the manufacturer, or whatever, because they want to. They they don't want to hold that paper and collect the payments, and they want to be able to pay off the loan they took out to buy the car to sell in the first place. Right. So it's called indirect lending because tech. You know they may not be completely funding the loan, but they are a creditor. The 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 you know the the dealer is as much a creditor in this transaction as the the lender who ultimately collects your payments. And and what the CFPB is telling uh, lenders is that. Um, uh, you're liable, uh, not just the dealer in this, if there's discrimination. Right. You're, you're right. You, if you buy paper from dealers, then you, you need to be aware that you can be held liable for discrimination that occurs in your portfolio. Okay. We, uh, have to take another break here, Chris. And, uh, when we come back, we'll just continue this, this, uh, discussion. And I'd like to, um, also get into just the whole auto lending business in general to the amount of loans and and the terms of the loans. Okay. Okay. Please stay with us. We'll be back after a short break. Now more cars, trucks, and bucks on TalkZone.com with your host, Rick Popley. Welcome back to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks. We're talking today about auto loans, what you need to know about arranging arranging a loan through a car dealer, and how you can ensure you get the lowest interest rate for which you qualify. My guest is Chris Kukla, Senior Vice President of the Center for Responsible Lending. I invited the National Automobile Dealers Association to participate in this discussion, but they declined. If you have a question or comment, the phone lines are open. Call us at 888-463-6748. That's 888-463-6748. Chris, just um, before we move on a little bit here, um, I wanted to share something with you. This is a May 8th article in Automotive News, which is a trade publication Aimed at dealers and others in the auto industry, and they, in a story, they quoted uh, executives from several major dealer groups. These are publicly traded companies uh, that have, you know, multiple dealerships. Some, in some cases, dozens of them. And this is what that story had to say about what their average markups are on loans. Asbury Automotive Group said. 1.25 to 1.5 percentage points. <clears throat> Excuse me. Auto Nation, one percentage point. 
Penske Automotive Group, 1.5 percentage points. Sonic Automotive, 1 percentage point. All of these uh, companies, these publicly traded dealer groups, more or less said uh, they are okay with going to something other than the current system of marking up rates or they maybe uh, look at a flat fee as inevitable. And they weren't squawking and saying, you know, we, we can't live with this. They weren't saying, hey, this sounds like a great idea. Let's get on with it. But they weren't complaining much either. Right. Why do you think, I mean, these major groups are saying, hey, you know, we'll cope, we'll adjust. And and yet the National Automobile Dealers Association is saying, hey, wow, this is going to be a game changer. You know, I think there's a couple things in this. And one is, is that I think it depends on who you are as a dealer. So when I when I read some of the other trade press as well, what you see is is largely discussion about the fact that there are some dealers that rely heavily on dealer markup for mm-hmm. for their for profit, and there are others who rely on a whole mix of of products that they sell in the finance and insurance office. You know, uh, uh, pre, uh, extended warranties, uh, prepaid maintenance plans, those kinds of things. Um, and so I think there are some dealers that are just more dependent on markup than others. And so I think for some it wouldn't be as big of a deal. And I think for others it might be. I think the second reason that you're seeing a lot of the a lot of angst about any kind of action on this is simply I think that um, there's some concern that if we start really picking at what goes on in auto finance transactions, uh, there's a lot to a lot of things to be worried about. And so I think they see this as the first consumer protection thing that's come down the the pike in quite some time, and uh, it's a concern for them because, frankly, there's a lot of things that go on. And while there's a lot of people who buy cars and everything goes well, there are a good, a very significant number of people who have uh, serious issues when they go to buy a car. And I think there are some folks who would really prefer that folks not uh, pick around on that. The uh, finance and insurance department—that's where you close the deal and arrange the loan and and perhaps purchase an extended warranty—is often the uh, biggest profit center for a dealership? Dealers, uh, as of a few years ago, that anywhere between 50 and 60% of a dealer's profit comes from the finance and insurance office. Uh, only 10 to 15% comes from the actual sale of the car, mm-hmm. and then the rest comes from service and parts. Right. So they're protecting the franchise. Sure. Basically. And I think with the, and, you know, with the amount of information that's available on the Internet about car pricing, mm-hmm. it's very easy for a consumer to go in and know enough about what goes into the pricing of a car and what's a fair price, that the margins on price have really shrunk. So there's been a lot of pressure put on the finance and insurance office to make up for that loss in profit that people, that dealers have suffered because of, basically, of information. Uh, and I think that's part of what's going on here is that the finance uh, the finance arrangements are really hard to hard to figure out because the, everybody gets a different interest rate. It's priced based on your individual risk, and so for people who go into a dealer, they there's no. It's very hard for them to know what part of this interest rate is really the risk that I present, and what part of it is compensation. And I think that lack of transparency is a real issue, and it's why we think that that a change in the system is necessary. Okay, let me just uh, throw out some. Numbers I've gathered here about uh, auto loans, and I, I mentioned previously that the average loan on a new vehicle is almost $28,000. The average loan term is now 65 months. That's five and a half years. Right. 20% of auto loans are for longer than six years, and I think it's 12% are for seven or eight years. Here's Here's one that really caught my eye. 26% of people who trade in a vehicle on a new vehicle are upside down on the old one, meaning, mm-hmm. meaning they owe more than it's worth. And right. the average negative equity, as they call it, is $3,600. That's one out of four buyers. Mm-hmm. Do you have any concerns about the amounts that people are borrowing or how long it takes to pay off a, a car loan? <laughs> it's definitely a concern. Um, I think you're right. Uh, we've we've watched the market, and we've seen that uh, loan terms, the, the length of the loan has uh, it shrunk for a little bit during the worst of the recession, and then it's grown back. Uh, there was one point where I know there was a lot of discussion around a, a 10-year car loan, uh, which is 
pretty significant. And when Whoa. you, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I, and look, it's a depreciating asset. It's a, it's something that the price goes down. The, if you buy a new car, the price goes down the minute you drive it off the lot. Even in a new car, a used car, you have instant depreciation. The longer your loan term is, the more time you're going to be underwater, and then you start to run into these issues. So you talk about it with negative equity. And the reason that you're seeing these longer loan terms is that is, is a couple of things. One is is this negative equity issue. You're folding in unpaid loan into a new loan, which means uh, I had a colleague who used to say it's you know pay drive one pay for two. <laughs> um, you're essentially paying for your old car and still paying for your new car. Right. So to make it affordable, you either have to lower the interest rate or stretch out the uh, stretch out the loan term. Stretching out the loan term is a lot easier to do. Uh, so it's really an affordability issue, but it also goes to the point that most people shop by monthly payment. So they go in and they tell the, the dealer, ask them, how much can you afford a month? And people tell them, well, I can afford $350 a month. Well, what they're going to do is they're going to give you a loan at $350 a month. They might stretch out the loan term a little bit, and what they're going to do is leave themselves room to sell you those those other products, those extended warranties, the rust proofing, the undercoating, the paint protection, the tire and wheel protection, all that stuff they sell on that finance office. They're going to leave themselves some room. They're also going to stretch you to the the most that you can afford. But what it also does is it makes sure that you're not paying attention to the full price of the car and the full terms of the financing. As long as they come back with a monthly payment that you think is fair, most people walk out thinking they did well, and then they find out, well, geez, I'm in an eight-year car loan. Um, and it means more than likely they're going to replace that car before they ever pay off that loan. Hmm. One other uh, thing I just want to mention about something like an eight-year car loan is that uh, your warranty is going to run out before you're done paying for the car. Unless, you know, there's a couple exceptions. Hyundai, Kia, uh, Mitsubishi have 10-year warranties. But even so, you're going to be replacing uh, tires probably and within at least once within eight years, battery a couple times, brakes a few times. And do other routine maintenance at the same time you're still paying for the for the car. It's uh, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it's not a um, when you look at it from a long term situation. It's it's not a good idea. Yeah, I, it's not. I, I don't think. I, I think if you I, unless you are a particularly sophisticated buyer and you're just taking advantage of the fact that uh, you can make a low you can make a lower payment uh, and that if you got a really low interest rate so that the money's almost free, mm-hmm. maybe it makes sense to do an extended loan term. But if you're talking about it, it's not uncommon for us to see somebody with a car loan at 15% on a seven- or eight-year loan. And 15%? The real, sure. I mean, there are, in North Carolina, you can you can charge up to 29% interest on a car loan, mm. depending on how old the car is. Uh, so you can have someone out with double-digit interest rates out seven, eight years, um, a big reason for the longer loan term is because they can't afford the payment at that high of an interest rate, which then begs the question of, are you really doing this person a favor Mm -hmm. by putting them in a car that you know they can't afford? Um, Now, maybe somebody's demanding that this is the car that they want. That may be. But I think in a lot of cases, people get sold what the car dealer is pushing on them. And if they're told that it's an affordable car and that, oh, these cars last forever, uh, nobody expects that their car is going to break down within six or seven years, but we know based on you know the the available data and how often people trade in their cars, that's just not how how it works. Right. Uh, longer loans carry higher interest rates, correct? Uh, it the longer the loan term, yes. It generally, if you go with a sh- because again, there's more risk. The longer you have a loan, the more risk there is that you might not be able to pay it back. And so, yes, you you are paying a premium for that longer longer loan term. Now, uh, uh, let's look at this, though, from, from the uh, dealer's standpoint. The people coming in who are asking for these longer loans and maybe buying more car than they should or even, you know, buying a car when they shouldn't, these are adults. I mean, you can't um, – they're able to make their own decisions and what's best for them. How do you, how do you protect or govern that sort of thing? Well, I think you know one thing you need to that we that needs to that there need, needs to be done is more. First of all, there is a real lack of data available in auto lending. It just there is not, um, unlike in mortgage lending and some other lending products, the data just doesn't exist. And I think one of the things that we've talked with regulators and others about is that you need 
But there needs to be data, and there needs to be data that's available to to the public. What kind of what system. kind of data? Well, I think one of the one of the things that we need to, that you need to look at is what are the what's the increase in delinquency and default as you start to go to longer loan terms, and if they start to get really really high, then you have a question of whether or not the person's being made a loan that with taking into account their ability to repay, and as much as it is, you should know how much you can pay for a car loan. I'm not excusing anybody and saying that 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 consumers don't have uh, a responsibility to look at what they're buying, but at the end of the day, that that dealer is going to make more deals in a day than the average car buyer is going to make in their lifetime. <laughs> so at some point, we got to this point where where where, and we heard you know we heard this countless times in the mortgage industry was we didn't want it. Well, why should we tell them no? Well, you know when we talk to people, what they would say is is well the bank said I could afford this, so I, I must have been able to afford it. I guess I just I thought I maybe I did something wrong. So. You know, I think part of what needs to go on here is that there's there's both sides have some responsibility. The the, the consumer certainly has a responsibility to learn as much as they can going into the marketplace. But every single financial transaction doesn't need to be an act of self defense. So at some point, there's also a responsibility and really an ethical responsibility on the on the, the behalf of the the dealer and the lender to look at whether or not what they're doing would you do this to your grandma? And if you wouldn't, then you shouldn't be doing it to your to your customers. Okay. So I think, you know, yeah, you can offer an eight-year car loan, but you've really got to ask yourself whether or not you're actually doing anybody any favors. Okay. We have to pause here for one last break, and when we come back, we'll continue talking with Chris Kukla, the Center for Responsible Lending, about auto financing and what consumers need to know about getting a loan for a new or used vehicle. Stay with us. This is Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com. Back to Rick Popley. Welcome back, everyone. My guest today is Chris Kukla. Chris is the Senior Vice President of the Center for Responsible Lending. And if you have a question or a comment, the phone lines are open. Call us at 888-463-6748. Again, that is 888 888- Four six three six seven four eight. Before the break, we were talking about uh, the responsibilities that both consumers and lenders and dealers have uh, in as far as auto loans. But where um, some of the places that uh, consumers can go for some assistance, um, among them, well, we've been talking about the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. That is one uh, location. They uh, have not only some uh, helpful information, but a place to tell your story. And, you know, another is Chris Kukla's organization, the Center for Responsible Lending, and the National Automobile, uh, Automobile Dealers Association's website, nada.org. They also have some shopping information. It was interesting that they have a brochure for car shoppers on there that advises them that they should shop for loans uh, before they, you know, or when they shop for a car, but they don't say that the dealers may mark up your interest rate. That that is not part of the uh, discussion there. Mm-hmm. But um, just in in general, Chris, what do you recommend for consumers? How should they approach this uh, this task of buying a car and finding financing? Well, it's a great question. And uh, first, I just want to add one other resource for for consumers if they. Uh, suspect any wrongdoing with their uh, uh, their car deal. Uh, the Federal Trade Commission actually regulates dealers directly, wow, right. and that's uh, FTC.gov. Uh, state attorneys general also have uh, authority over car dealers, and so you can look up your state attorney general, and they also take complaints. In a lot of cases, they can actually uh, intervene in a limited way in your behalf, uh, and you may actually be able to get some resolution. So those are definitely those are two other places that I would definitely uh, check. Generally, the, we you know we deal more with the financing side of things, but uh, I think the general in, the, the general recommendations we make to consumers when they're going in to buy a car is first that you should shop for financing if you can before uh, before you, you shop for a car. Before you shop for a car, so you should you should go to your if you have a banking relationship, you should go to that that bank or credit union you do business with regularly and see what they can do. If you have 
uh, if you have blemished credit, there are still opportunities available. You might have to dig a little bit more to get them, but don't assume just because it's hard to get someone to say yes doesn't mean that they won't. And so I think you need to, to don't assume that options are closed to you unless you absolutely know that they are. I think the other thing is that especially if you're buying a used car, don't fall in love with one particular car. Um, because if you do, then you're going to be stuck with that dealer and your options uh, for shopping are limited. And you can shop between dealers for uh, both the price of the car but also on the interest rate. So you can actually sh- – and if you go to several dealers and have them pull your credit, it does not hurt your credit score. Why is that? Uh, Why is, uh, uh... Well, the credit scoring bureaus have changed their system so that if you pull your credit – uh, a number of times at particular locations. So if they see that you've gone to five different car dealers and gotten credit, uh, gotten your credit pulled to get pricing, then they know that you're basically shopping around and they want you to do that. So unlike where if you go and you pull your credit for a credit card and then some, and then a car and then a house and something else, your score might drop. But if you're shopping for the same thing, they actually your credit score does not drop. Okay. Uh, so it's important for people to know that. The other is that you can take the financing documents home before you sign them. Uh, most dealers don't want you to do this. Most dealers will fight like mad if you try to. Yeah. Um, but you, by federal law, a dealer is required to give you the financing forms that they offer you with the information filled in. So if they offer you a blank contract, say, no, I want the one with the loan terms you've quoted me in it. Uh, if they don't give it to you, they've violated federal law. And you could call your attorney general's office or you could uh, uh, you can call the, the FTC. Um, that is that is illegal conduct. So just because you sat in that office and you've you've got you know quote unquote closed the deal, doesn't mean you can't take it home and think about it. But once you sign those contracts, you cannot back out. So there is no you know waiting period. There is no cooling off period in car deals, uh, except in California, and you have to buy that right. It costs you seventy five to one hundred dollars to buy it. So in in forty nine fifty states, you do not have the right to back out of the deal later. So you have to be careful that you, when you, what you sign is what you sign. If you're unsure about anything, don't take delivery of the vehicle um, because if you do, then you're kind of stuck. Um, but if, if anything feels funny, walk out. Uh, you do not have to buy a car the same day. Uh, you should try to do it. I mean, I know in some cases people have emergencies and they have to, but you should not assume that you would buy a car on the same day. When you buy a house, you don't clo- you don't go find a house talk to the realtor, close on the house, get a loan, and move in the next day. Um, you shouldn't expect to do that with your car either. You should take your time, make sure you know what you're getting. Um, and the other thing is don't shop by monthly payment. Uh, the dealers know that they can fit whatever they want into that monthly payment. You should be shopping by price. You should be shopping by interest rate. You should make sure you understand what the terms of the car are uh, before you do anything. Okay. Uh Earlier in the show, I mean, we were talking earlier about the dealer markup on loans. And uh, just uh, to back up a little bit, how do you think that that practice should be regulated or, or changed? We think that dealer compensation should not be based on the interest rate of the loan, that it should be based on something else other than, other than that. So whether it's by a flat fee, uh, whether it's about the number of loans they send to a particular lender, whether it's uh, uh, based on the amount of the loan so that Smaller loans get you get paid the same amount as larger loans. However, you want to. However, someone wants to structure that. We think there are several ways that it can be done. The worst way, and the way that ensures that there's going to be unfairness, and the way that ensures that there will be some sort of discrimination, is when you give someone the discretion to increase the interest rate based on whatever factors they choose, rather than basing it on the risk profile that that person presents to that particular lender. So we think that that compensation should just you should not be allowed to base it on the interest rate. There are plenty of other ways that you can compensate dealers for the work that they do. They exist now. Uh, dealers are already using them, and it would be much preferable. It would be fairer, and it would create an incentive where the dealer would actually be working on behalf of the consumer in all cases uh, rather than in some cases. And I think that's that's the important thing is that everyone would get treated fairly, Everyone would, would win. Car, car buyers would get a fair loan. Car dealers would get paid for their service. And uh, we'd have a market we could trust. The uh, National Automobile Dealers Association has said that uh, proposals that are on the table from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau would uh, raise the cost of getting a loan for consumers 
and reduce access to financing. What do you think of that? I, you know, we've, we heard that in the mortgage lending market where mortgage brokers said that if you do anything that plays with our compensation, uh, it will ruin the market and people won't get access to credit. And then we had the market crash. And a lot of the reason we had the market crash was because you had brokers who had incentives to sell people loans that they just shouldn't have gotten. Um, anytime you've got this kind of discretionary pricing, it actually leads to higher costs for consumers. It might be good for dealers. Um, but in the long run, a, another system, a different system would be fairer and more stable. This is always the argument that folks make when you start to play with compensation systems in lending. It's the scare tactic of saying that it's going to increase costs for consumers and they won't have as much choice. Dealers have a vested interest in selling a car. And because of that, they have a vested interest in finding someone a good loan that's better than whatever else might be out there. And so that's not going to go away. So dealers are still going to need to provide financing. Dealers are still going to fight to try to find a loan that somebody's willing to, to take. Dealers will get comp- would get compensated. And everything, I think, would be fine because it already exists today. There are already loans where this happens. And so the idea that somehow shifting to a compensation system that they're already using is going to destroy the marketplace, frankly, just doesn't pass the laugh test. Any thoughts on uh, in closing as to when this might come you know, to some uh, fruition, uh, the proposals from the CFPB? So the CFPB has not issued any proposal in changing the compensation system. All they've done is that they've put out a bulletin saying that discrimination can be an issue in, in lending because of the way that lenders allow dealers to mark up the interest rate and, and call on lenders to think about changing the systems that they do. We do know that the CFPB is looking at this issue. Um, I do not know what the timetable would be on what they would do, but we know that this is an issue that they care about and are paying close attention to it, and we're going to continue to work with them to see, to see where it goes. Okay. Thank you, Chris Kukla of the Center for Responsible Lending. Appreciate you spending the time with us. Rick, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. That is about all the time we have for this week's episode of Cars, Trucks, and Bucks. Hope you'll join us next week when we talk about maintenance, myths, and musts, what you need to do to maintain your vehicle and what you don't. My guest will be Larry Carley, a prolific writer and author on a wide range of topics concerning automotive maintenance and repair. Larry is a certified automotive technician in seven areas of expertise, and he runs his own website with extensive information on maintaining and repairing vehicles. Until then, please visit my website, carstrucksandbucks.com, for more information about next week's show, news updates, and vehicle reviews. Thanks again to today's guest, Chris Kukla of the Center for Responsible Lending, and thanks to you for listening. Please drive safely. So long, everybody. <laughs>